As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Dead Man Talking. Tonight's story is a spine-tingling tale from the wonderful mind of The Reaper 308. As ever, please do let us know what you thought down below in the comments. Please do like and share. It really does help build the channel and our community further. And of course, don't forget to hashtag Team Fear. And so, without further ado... Let's get into tonight's story, entitled, The Navajo Warned Me. Let's get straight into that. Do not go to the Sawtooth National Forest in Utah. I made the mistake of going there a few years ago. It was the worst decision I have ever made. At first glance, Utah is a beautiful place. It has flowing streams beautiful lakes, multiple forests, and those huge rock formations you see in movies. But Utah is only beautiful in pictures that you can view while you are far, far away. All of Utah's beauty only hides the true evil that lurks in its forests, drinks from its lakes and streams, and hides its victims in caves. To fully understand how this story took place, you have to know something about the people involved in the story. The Navajo live in the Four Corners region of Utah, New Mexico, Arizona, and Colorado. Whether creatures like this lurk in those states, I do not know. They probably are in Colorado. Colorado has all the weird things in it. Anyway, the Navajo in Utah are the ones that were involved in this. And with Navajo people come all the legends and monsters of the Navajo culture. Wendigo and skinwalkers are probably the first to come to mind. The Navajo play a large part in this story, and a large part in my 
survival. You're probably wondering by now who I am, and my name is Dr. Kim Newman. I have a degree and a PhD in zoology and a bachelor's degree in biology. I went to Utah in hopes of studying the cryptids that the natives say live there. You're probably also wondering how I got involved in the trip to Utah. Well, I'll be honest. I got involved because of the internet. I'm what you call a freelance zoologist. I study whatever people pay me to study. I wish I had chosen a different line of work. Some rich guy from California wanted me to take his son on a cryptid hunting trip for his birthday. My skepticism made me turn down his offer at first until I saw the number of zeros on the check he handed me. The money persuaded my mind to think that I'd enjoy an uneventful two-week camping trip in Utah and come back home unscathed with plenty of money to retire on. I only wish it had turned out that way. A week later, I found myself on an old Douglas DC-3 loaded down with scientific equipment. 14 of the DC-3's original 21 seats had been removed to make room for the various supplies in the back. We had night vision and infrared cameras, sound reading equipment, multiple large tents, food and clothes for two weeks, and some things in black cases that I had not seen opened. I had brought equipment to harvest blood, hair, and skin for testing back at my mobile lab that would be brought on a second plane. All seven available seats for passengers were filled up. I was sitting in the first row with the rich kid. Steve was sitting beside me. Across the aisle from us was Keith, a huge bear of a man. Keith was at least six foot eight inches tall and probably weighed 450 pounds. He spoke with a deep, booming voice, although he probably wouldn't hurt a fly. The other five guys were hired men that Steve had brought with him. All of them were big and looked like they ate nails for breakfast. Steve had explained that they were there for security and to help us set up all the equipment. I just laughed. Security? From what? We landed at a small dirt strip in the middle of a village on the borders of Sawtooth National Forest. Several Navajo men came out to greet us, and one of the men, who I had come to know as David, stepped forward. Hello, how are you today? David asked. We are very glad to be on the ground, Steve replied. David laughed and pointed to a group of houses. The buildings I saw weren't exactly houses, though. A more apt description would be large log cabins. That is a village over there. If anything happens while you are out in the woods, run to those cabins. The cabins are the only safe zone in this forest, David said with a grimace. I couldn't understand why he said this. There was no way this creature existed, right? And with a wave and a good luck, David walked back to his cabin. I developed a sick feeling in my stomach while thinking about his words. What if I was wrong? What if we didn't make it out of the forest? I brushed his thoughts off and walked over to Steve. He looked over at me and swallowed. You don't think he's actually real, do you? He asked. I don't know, Steve. I'm scared to imagine that it does, I replied. Steve shook his head and walked off towards the rest of the group. I turned to the plane and saw Keith packing the black cases off the loading dock. He looked at me and gestured to the cases. It's the various things I need to set up my rifle. 
he explained. He set the cases down and opened them. One case contained magazines full of 50 BMG ammunition. The other cases contained various accessories like a bipod and a scope. The final case contained a field-stripped Barrett M82. Even this behemoth of a rifle looked small compared to Keith. I figure no creature in the world would stand up to a shot from this. I'll be carrying this on our expedition, Keith said. And with the grace of a ballet dancer, Keith reached down and picked up the cases. And when I turned back to the plane, I noticed the villagers had already unloaded all of our gear and stacked it near the now set up tents. I walked over to the tents and searched for the ones containing my bunk and the rest of my stuff. I sat on my bed with a book and began reading, eventually falling asleep. I was awoken by the sounds of low growling outside of my tent. The growling seemed to circle the tent as whatever it was searched for the entrance. I turned to Keith's bunk only to see him already crouching near the entrance with a large handgun. He turned back to me and put his hand to his lips. Now was not the time to scream or move. Now was the time to pray silently to the God or whoever you believe in to save us from whatever was outside of the tent. Keith slowly leaned out of the tent and screamed. Seeing this bear of a man scream prompted me to scream and, unfortunately, wet the front of my pants. Keith fell to the ground and rolled in laughter. And Steve walked in a few seconds later, holding his phone and a small Bluetooth speaker that was lightly playing bare sounds. If only you could have seen the look on your face! Steve wheezed between laughs. Ha ha ha, very funny. I pouted as I walked over to my suitcase full of clothes. Go on outside the tent so I can change, since you decided to be childish. Keith and Steve walked out of the tent, still laughing and wheezing. I opened my suitcase and grabbed another pair of panties and another pair of pyjama pants. I brought them over to my bed and proceeded to wipe my crotch and legs off with some wet wipes I had brought with me. After getting dressed and laying down in bed again, I drifted back to sleep. I woke up the next morning to Keith in a giant apron standing over me. He was waving a plate of biscuits with gravy, eggs, bacon and sausage in front of my face. Keith, as good as that smells, I'm sleepy and it'll ruin my diet. I grumbled sleepily. Ah, oh, come on, Miss Kim, you're in good shape. You can afford a cheat day, he said cheerfully. I took the plate from him, ignoring his comment, and he watched with a hopeful look on his face as I ate the eggs and then quickly devoured the rest of the plate. He looked happily as I licked the plate clean. Was it good? He asked. That was the best breakfast I've ever had. My grandma can't even cook that good, I told him. Steve smiled and showed me a small homemade badge, and it read, Best chef in the world. After my wife passed from cancer, my daughter asked me to take cooking classes with her. She made me this after I passed to begin her cooking classes, he said. I'm so sorry, I said, my face down to the ground. It's fine. She's not in pain anymore, you know? He said with a smile on his face. How old's your daughter? I asked. Uh, she was three when my wife passed. She's eight now, he answered. My emotions got the best of me and I found myself wrapping him 
in a hug. He chuckled and hugged me back. All I could think of is how brave but stupid this man was. He was all his daughter had left and he was out here in the woods with wild animals. Keith, you really shouldn't be here. You should be home with your daughter, I said. Nah, I'll be fine. My fee for this trip will get Abby a pony for her birthday and put her through college, Keith replied with a laugh. But there are five other guys that can protect Steve. Why do they need you when you have a daughter at home? I asked, angry that Steve and his father could be so insensitive. Oh, I'm not here to protect Steve. I'm here to protect you, Keith said, rising from the bed and taking my plate. He smiled and walked out of the tent. I sat in disbelief. Who would send Keith to protect me? What is really going on here? We went out into the forest that night. We started placing our night fishing cameras on game trails and near sources of water. We set the infrared cameras near the huge tents we had set up in the clearing. We set one of the very sensitive microphones near each of the night vision cameras in the hopes that we would catch some bit of audio we could use for later identification. I noticed Keith and Steve lingered around a rack filled with guns and flares. It made good sense to be near weapons if this creature did exist. And just as I was about to walk over to them, a scream erupted from the tent. I ran inside to find one of the men running, the camera shaking in fear. What happened? I asked, concerned. Something big ran up to one of the cameras and smashed it. He said, his voice shaking. I turned my attention to the screen the cameras were connected to. One by one, the displays went out and static appeared. Each camera in a sequence growing closer and closer to our camp. I heard a clicking sound and looked up to see Keith loading his rifle. He turned to me with a grim look upon his face. Stay in the tent. Do not leave the tent. Liam will stay with you and protect you, he ordered. Liam was the guy running the computer. He reached into a cabinet near him and pulled out two rifles and a couple of mags for each. He handed me one of the rifles and explained the process for loading and firing it. Keith ran off into the woods. Silence fell over the woods. The mic stopped recording and Cricket stopped chirping. Everyone in camp held their breath. A shrill scream erupted from the woods and Keith came running back into camp with a look of terror upon his face. Something stumbled into the clearing behind him and all the pictures from the internet and all of the stories on Reddit could not have prepared me for what I saw. The creature, it was skeletal, almost withered away. A deer skull sat atop the bone that served as its neck. On its fingers grew claws twelve inches in length. The creature itself grew three feet above Keith's head. Keith dove for the ground and rolled, aiming his rifle at the creature. He fired three rounds as fast as the gun could fire, into the creature's chest. The creature screamed and grabbed the rifle from Keith's hands, snapping it like a twig. It looked up and made eye contact with me as it grabbed Keith's ankle and dragged him into the woods. As soon as Keith and the creature disappeared, Liam scooped me up into his arms and rammed me back to the cabins, despite my protests. Once we were safe inside the cabins... David calming and solemnly told me that Keith would not be coming back. 
and David asked if I would like to be the one to tell his daughter. I sat in the chair, traumatised at the look on his face as the creature dragged him, traumatised by the look the creature gave me and Keith as it dragged him away, traumatised by having to tell his daughter, who had already lost one parent, that her daddy, the best chef in the world, would not be returning home. Keith's daughter flew to the camp the next day, and with the knowledge that something had happened to her daddy, her aunt accompanied her as they walked towards the cabin I was in. Abby sat down in the chair in front of me and cried as I told her her daddy died a hero. She clung to her aunt's neck as I explained he charged right towards a wild animal and saved us all from it. I hugged Abby and told her that she was brave as a shout came from the other side of the village. I looked in horror as a tall creature covered in mud and blood staggered into the village, dragging a deer's skull and a neck bone behind it. As it drew closer, however, I recognised the creature as Keith. The Navajo in the village rushed to his aid, cleaning his wounds and washing the mud off. Keith had been dragged into the woods by a wendigo that had plagued this village for so many years. As it dragged him through the mud and leaves, Keith grabbed a branch and stabbed it through the torso. It slashed his stomach with its claws as he grabbed its antlers and pulled it until its neck separated from his body. He watched as the giant creature fell to its knees and lied still in the dirt. The Navajo howled him as a hero and gave him a handmade knife from one of the legs they had found of the creature. They clothed him in buckskin clothes and told all the village children that this was the man that had saved them all. After a celebration that lasted most of the day, they brought out a final present. It was a mare for Abby, draped in a beautiful handmade blanket and saddle. Keith and I started dating that day and married three years later. I gave birth to his child a year after our wedding. Abby is the perfect daughter and calls me mum. But all of this happiness is tainted by one warning given by the Navajo. Wendigo, remember they're fallen the way we do. Fear the dark and fear the forest. The Wichita werewolf. Let's get straight into that. Growing up here, I was always greeted by friendly people. Everyone said hi and waved to each other. You had your neighbours over on Sunday after church for a barbecue, and everyone had a good time. Of course, being a kid, I was very curious and would explore while my parents were visiting the people from church. One afternoon, my friends and I played hide-and-seek. I had the bright idea to sneak down the southern part of my neighbourhood, which was run down. The farther and farther I got from my house, the darker the road became, due to the foliage above blocking out the sun. The paved street turned to a dirt road. White picket fence turned to overgrown yards and abandoned houses. I found a hiding spot underneath an old pickup truck with weeds growing through the bed and cab. I was invisible to the naked eye. About ten minutes passed and I could barely make out the conversations and laughter several houses down at the barbecue. 
as well as the screaming and the commotion whenever one of my friends was found. Behind me, I heard a stick break, but I didn't dare look. It was probably my friend Clay trying to find me. And suddenly, two denim-clad legs appeared in front of my face, barefoot but far too hairy to be any of my friends. I kept quiet. As the knees bent, I was met with an older man with two different coloured eyes. What in Sam hell are you doing down there, boy? I'm hiding from my friends, I managed to reply. I crawled out from under the truck and realised I had never seen this man ever before. I was taught at a young age to have exceptional manners and introduce myself. The old man asked me if I wanted to come back to his house, enticing me with his recipe of homemade cornbread. Again, I retained my manners and kindly refused. Instead of being persistent, the old man nodded and told me to go and play with my friends. By this time, Clay saw me and started to head over. I walked towards him while motioning the time-out signal. "'Why aren't you hiding?' he exclaimed. I told Clay how I was hiding until some man found me, and I pointed back, but the man was gone, nowhere to be found. As Clay was pestering me, claiming I stopped the game because I couldn't find a good hiding spot, I was staring at the old truck where I was hiding. The grass and weeds were much too thick that even standing here glaring at where I had been, I wouldn't be able to see myself. How did that man even manage to see me? I finally convinced Clay that what had happened was true, but Ryan and Jacob, or even Bo, didn't seem to believe me, or really care too much. Clay and I saw the man again, but this time he was walking down the dirt road on the south side of the neighbourhood, and walked into one of the houses we had always assumed was vacant. We had to investigate. The big cottonwood outside the house had squirrel bones stuck to the trunk, as well as a reflective light, like you'd find on a bicycle, nailed to either side. The man's house had a ripped screen door, as well as two big moths that crawled in the wall by a cracked window. I can't believe he lives here, Clay whispered. Where did he come from anyway? I asked. We turned around facing the dirt road. It was no outlet road, and at the end there was a fence that read, No Trespassing. And of course, two kids... We trespassed. As we climbed over the fence, a chill ran down my spine. Dread filled my ever-being, but I didn't want to seem like I was a wuss to Clay, and so I manned up and kept my composure. Through the trees and thickets, we found a tattered old house that looked like it had been hit by a tornado a few years back. Next to it, an old shed with a broken-out window. On the ground around it looked like blood. Was it paint? Blood? From an animal? Back farther was a railroad track and past that on the other side of town. So we decided to go back to Clay's house. I could tell Clay also wanted to leave as much as I did. Fall swept in, bringing with it the sweet aroma of dead leaves and crisp morning air. It was still warm, but much more bearable than the summer. School had started, so playing with my neighbourhood friends became something of a rarity, only hanging out on weekends or if we finished our homework at night. We had always enjoyed catching lightning bugs or playing in the treehouse at night, but this particular fall, all of our parents would usually limit how often we went over to each other's houses. 
The Southern Plains area of the U.S. is notorious for its human trafficking, but the autumn of 2004 was something else entirely. It all started when a kid from the west side went missing. The police simply thought a kid got lost, but when they started their investigation, the trail went cold. The next week, a Baptist church down a couple of blocks away from our road was having a fundraiser, and two children from there also went missing. Was there some sort of connection? At night, I swear, I could hear some sort of howling, followed by all of the dogs in my neighbourhood barking. My father dismissed it, telling me I was hearing coyotes and that there were no wolves in Kansas. I knew what coyotes sounded like, and we often encountered them while hunting. Parents do their best to keep their children from finding out how terrible the world can be, and their attempt was futile on the night of October 23rd. I was playing at Clay's house, along with my friend Ryan and Bo. He had quite a collection of toys, both new and hand-me-downs from his older brother. At around 9pm, Clay's parents get a call, and we hear footsteps coming towards the top of the stairs. Which one of our parents wants us home? And who's first to go? Jacob, your father wants you to come home now, proclaimed Clay's mum. We all froze and exchanged glances, making sure we didn't miss Jacob, as if he had been under our noses the entire time. What? hollered Clay. Apparently, he has a test tomorrow morning, answered Clay's dad. My stomach sank. Us four boys met Clay's mum at the stairs. Jacob never came over. Jacob isn't here, we all muttered. Clay's mum gave us a stern look of disapproval, thinking we were pranking her before her face gave way to a horrific grimace. She picked the phone back up off the hook, dialing back Jacob's parents. And through the phone and down the stairs, I could still hear the petrified voice of Jacob's mum. Police asked us questions. If Jacob had told us about any people he'd recently met, the last time any of us spoke to him, etc. They asked us if we had seen anything strange recently. To which we all seen the strange man, so we told the investigators about him. Well, even if we knew where he lived, we don't know if he's the one behind this. And Clay and I told the officer what house he was living in. And son, the officer was looking at Clay. No one's lived in that house for years. It's abandoned. The investigator told our parents that keep an eye out for a man who matched our description. The cops didn't seem too genuine about it, though. So it's a good thing Clay and I didn't mention anything else like the creepy shed. And plus, we weren't supposed to be back there in the first place. And Halloween, a time of pretend spookiness and celebrating with candy, was instead filled with absolutely terrified families and mourning parents. Across the town, more kids had never returned with sacks full of candy. The investigation was stepped up and the police had suspects but one after the other, they were all cleared. Hunting season had taken my mind off the recent tragedy. It was hard to tell, but my father was quite uneasy about the whole ordeal. It was almost like he was taking me out into the wilderness to keep me safe. We'd go hunting quite a bit, me and him. One night, my father and I were heading back home. In the rearview mirror, I saw a beautiful sunset. The pond mirror in it and the branches blowing in the stiff breeze. Maybe this whole thing will just pass over, I thought, still missing Jacob. 
When I got home, I saw police lights flickering, and the cops outside, Clay's house. No! I cried out loud. My father and my mother embraced me, as Clay's parents embraced each other, empty inside. It's been 15 years since that fall, and this all still remains a mystery. Wow, wow, awesome, awesome stuff. Thank you ever so much to the authors. As ever, guys and girls, you know the drill. Please do let us know what you thought down below in the comments. Also, please do like and share. It really, really does make a difference and really helps build the channel and our community further. And of course, don't forget to hashtag Team Fear. I hope you're all well and happy and having a great start to the week. But above all, guys, remember, be safe. Not sorry. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.